journeying together on this topic of generosity over the last couple of Sundays. And I've been here the second hour, both of those Sundays as well. And last Sunday we learned that the Apostle Paul wants to challenge us to do good, to be generous, to be ready to share. And I'm telling you, just to tack on to what we were just talking about, it's not just an ad, it's, it's truly an application of the generosity that we're speaking of, that being ready to share. One of the ways we are ready is when we have our financial house in order. Part of that is how we live our lives when we're alive, and then part of that is how we live our lives after we're gone. We're with the Lord Jesus Christ in heaven. Our lives continue on because we were ready to share. Readiness means having a living trust, having those things in place so we manage well. And then the Sunday before that, we took a look at Matthew chapter 6, that God is a generous God. He loves us. He wants to be generous to us. He wants to walk in, uh, invite us to walk in faith in Him. One of the illustrations that I shared with you is that we have two dogs. One is our dog that we adopted. The other dog is a foster-to-adopt dog. Uh, came out of uh, the streets of the cities of Phoenix and uh, was taken in, and now we have that dog as well. We have these two dogs, and every day they are so happy that we come home. Every day they're so happy to be with us. They want to be in every room that we and We go to another room, they go to that room, they want to be with us. We sit on the couch, they want to sit next to the couch, six to us, sit sit next to us. Actually, Joy, I sit in the chair where they have no room. But uh, they sit next to Joy on the couch, which is just okay with me. And uh, why do they do that? Because they, they love us and they trust us. How do they, how do they trust us? They never once, like Jesus says about the birds that God feeds, they never once doubt that they won't have food to eat every day because we feed them every day. And they trust us because they believe we love them and they love us in their own sort of selfish sort of way. But uh, they trust us. And I look at my two dogs. I look at that little Scotty and that little mutt uh, that we have. And I look at them and I think to myself, Oh God, may I trust you, Father, that you will provide for me as much as those dogs trust me. And may I even more so trust you because I know I'm more valuable than the dogs and the birds that are in the trees that fly around. And so we have learned this journey of trusting God. Then Paul the Apostle writes to us in 2 Corinthians 9 and gives us some very specific guidelines. And what does generous living look like? Here's 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Let me read the text. And again, this comes from God's Word. This isn't some ideas I sort of came up with and said, you know, I think we should do this. No, this is what God says. I want to be obedient to God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, he writes, for it is superfluous for me to write to you about this ministry to the saints. He's, he said this stuff over and over. He's got to say it again. It's superfluous. For I know your readiness, of which I boast about you to the Macedonians, namely, that Achaia has been prepared since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. But I have sent the brethren in order that our boasting about you may not be made empty, in this case, so that as I was saying, you may be prepared. Otherwise, if any Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to speak of you, will be put to shame by this confidence." So I thought it necessary to urge the brethren that they would go on ahead to you and arrange beforehand your previously promised, promised bountiful gift so that the same would be ready as a bountiful gift and not affected by covetousness. Now this I say, he who sows sparingly will reap sparingly. 
He who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. Let's break that down. And the outline will be an assistant tool to you as well. But we want to overcome the sense of fear and shame. We don't want shame-based giving. Because sometimes I think about the way I give. And even at the end of the year, last December, I was kind of going through, what more should I, what more should I give? And, I'm, and, and there's a tendency and a temptation in my own heart, even in December, year-end giving, which we promoted here. And so many people came through for us and we're grateful for. But there's something even in my own mind. And I've been doing this for so long. But there's something that still sticks in my brain. I say, God, if I give X amount of dollars, I give online. That's how I do it. If I give online this sum, will I have enough for our daughter's Christmas presents? Will I have enough to pay these bills? What if I have a car repair that sneaks up on me? And there's this fear that comes into my own mind, and I should be beyond this. But it sneaks in. I remember it sneaking into my mind. God. If I give this sum as a year-end extra gift after trying to be faithful year all year long, will, will I still have enough to do the sort of things I want to do? And I'm thinking, man, if, if I struggle with that, and I'm no, say, no great saint, I know that many things that we struggle with, others struggle with it as well. So I want to invite you into a way to overcome this sort of this fear and hesitancy and apprehension and really enter into the generosity of a God who loves us so much and wants us to be fulfilled through these things. So here's the way Paul teaches us. First of all, there are three things we're going to look at. I need to be intentional in my support for God's people and God's work. It needs to be intentional for the ministry of the saints, he says in verse 1, to the ministry of the saints. We want to be intentional to what God is doing in God's people. There are many worthy causes out there that we can give to, and and God bless those who can do that. Uh, There's Salvation Army, there's Goodwill, there's Wounded Warrior, uh, there's all kinds of uh, Red Cross, there's all kinds of very worthy causes. But I say that what Paul says that my priority is to what God is doing, and God works through those organizations. I won't doubt that. But it's to ministry to the saints, he says. Because if the saints don't give to the saints, the non-saints won't give to the saints. Non-saints can give to those other things as well. How do we do this? Through thoughtful preparation. Paul says in verse 2, So specific, so practical. For I know your readiness, of which I boast about you to the Macedonians, namely that the Achaia has been prepared since last year. Since most of us, I never think about Macedonia or Achaia unless I'm thinking about the Spradleys, who actually are part of our missionary family, who serve in Macedonia. Here's the map. This helped me in my own thinking about where are these locations. Corinth is where he is writing to. It's in Greece as we know it today. It's near Athens, as you can see on the map. Achaia is this region of the land that he's talking about. And he's talking about the Macedonians that live above that. The Macedonians live above. And what's happening is that there's been a famine in the land. And Paul wants to come and have an offering to gather food and, and goods so that they can provide for those who are starving. And he says, I want to come and receive your collection of what you have gathered together. And the Macedonians, they're jumping in as well. But Corinth people, we want you to be part of this as as you started well, but you're sort of fading. We want you to catch back up. 
And so that's what he's talking about. He says, I want you to arrange this. You promised this. We're going to come, and I want you to give this. And so this is what he's saying. And so he's encouraging us by way of 2,000 years later to be a practical application of this. That means that my giving should be thoughtful. It's prepared. He says, your readiness, the, word, the Greek word for readiness, I'm going to have a few Greek word flashes here for you, but the word readiness is made up of two words, pro and thumos. It is to have a mind that is forward-thinking. My giving needs to be forward-thinking. I'll show you why that's important in a minute. So it's a thoughtful preparation. Secondly, it is a means of encouraging other people. He says, when you gave, Corinthians, your zeal stirred up them. It got them excited. Giving to God's work causes a ripple effect of a zeal for the Lord and an encouragement to hearts. Here's a story that I read recently this last week. A fellow by the name of Robert Morris he came to faith in Christ as a Savior and he's about his 20s. And he had this tremendous zeal to be an evangelistic to let people know about Christ. And he thought about the people that he knows already and there's a restaurant that he would go to and there was a waitress there that he had a care and a concern for. So he and his wife went to this restaurant and he thought, you know, I'd love to witness to that waitress who's always been such a good friend to us as we dined there. And so he said to his wife, you know, let's, instead of getting a big meal, let's just get a couple of cups of coffee and a, uh, something small so I can leave her with a larger tip. So that's what he did. So he left her with this big tip and, and left a track with the tip. It's okay to leave a track if your tip is way beyond anything that anybody ever thought you would ever leave. Never leave a tip with a, never leave a track with a small tip, please. And the track, that track that's in the chair rack in front of you, it was a track like that that he left that shared the way to know Christ as Savior. And so he left that. And a month later, they happened to come back and they asked for the same table. And that same time, they had a very small uh, dinner so that he could leave a bigger tip. So he, they spent $10 on the meal but left $50 tip to this waitress. And they came back after that. And then she went up to them as they came back that third time and said, man, thank you for that money and that track. I read that track, she said. And I put my faith in Christ as a result of that. Thank you for giving me the gospel. I, I, I sort of knew that, but I never knew it in that way. So I made a decision to trust in Jesus. It's been the best decision I've ever made. And then I called up my husband. I read the track to him. And Robert says, what do you mean you called your husband? Couldn't you just, you know, visit with him? No. He's in prison. So she calls up her husband who's in prison. He's there for three years in this prison cell. Calls him up, reads this tract to him. He receives Christ as a Savior as well. And finally, after three years, as they continued that relationship, and Robert would go visit uh, the husband in jail, and he finally gets out, comes to their church, Robert and his wife disciple this couple, baptize this couple, and they continue to walk with Jesus to this day. And all of that was pivoted on the fact that Robert had a heart of generosity where he left a $50 tip on a $10 meal, and she said, that money meant the world to us because I'm just barely scraping by because my husband has no income, and I, my salary as a waitress is all that covers my bills. You blessed me with your generosity, she said. And that to me is this encouragement that when a generous heart steps out, it truly can change people's lives. 
And we want to encourage that because God is generous to us. We want to be generous to others. And then we eliminate any shame or fear. He says, if the Macedonians come, these people north of Achaia, if they come and find you unprepared, we, not to speak of you, will be put to shame by this confidence. We don't want anybody to give at Calvary Church out of shame. We don't want you to give out of kind of fear. We don't want you to give out of any kind of a, a sense of embarrassment. And Paul says, look, we don't want to come and shame you, and we'll be shamed. It'll be a mutual shame club if we come and you're not ready. We don't want you to be unprepared. So God invites us into this kind of a giving that is not shame-based. And if you give, after I get done up here, and we have worship, and we've got the buckets here, if you want to give out of shame, please don't give. I'm going to give you some other reasons to not give this morning as well. That's reason number one. Don't give out of shame. We want to enter into the life that God has called us to. So number one, in order to remove all shame and fear, I need to be intentional about being prepared to give to God's people. Secondly, I need to develop spiritually healthy habits in giving to God's work. That's what Paul then speaks to. In verse 5, he says this, So I thought it necessary to urge you, the brethren, that they would go on ahead to arrange beforehand. So he is bringing people to teach them how to give effectively. We need to have willing hearts, teachable hearts, that I don't have it all figured out. I, for most of my life, didn't all the, have this, all this figured out. Then I went to a crown class. And the crown class taught me, Dave, here is the way God instructs us to be good stewards. And that changed my life. I need to learn it. We need to learn it. That's why we have the classes that are in the bulletin listed. That's why we have Christian Trustmaker. That's why we have the seminar next Saturday. We're trying to bring all these tools in place, not to manipulate, not to struggle, to gift more, not to somehow... uh, you know, deceptively lead you into some sort of a false giving. We don't want that. But we do have tools. As Paul says, I'm going to urge the brethren to go on before to arrange your gift. We want to instruct you on this because we don't want last-minute gifts, as he says here. Notice that healthy habits, they promote a prearranged plan gifts. You do it ahead of time. It is your previously promised bountiful gift. The word bountiful, another Greek word, it is eulogia. We get the English word eulogy from it. Paul is instructing you and me that I want my gifts, as the word means, good words. A eulogy are good words for someone or for God in this case. I want your gift to be saying good things about God. I want him to be celebrated in this thing. Your previously promised eulogy to God. That's what we want it to be. We want it to be arranged ahead of time. First Corinthians 16, he's already said this to them, the first book that he wrote to them. On the first day of every week, each one of you is to put aside and save. Put aside and save as he may prosper so that no collections be made when I come. I don't want to come and have a last-minute rush, a last-minute pressure, a last-minute guilt trip to cause you to give as we emotionally appeal to you and we show you some emaciated poor little kid that will die if you don't give. We don't want that kind of giving. We want the kind of giving that is prearranged, that says good things about God, that is regular, that is put aside, that is planned ahead. Here's the kind of giving we don't want here at Calvary Church. Where I come up to the bucket over here, 
And look at my wallet, and, and uh, there's a line because they're getting communion. Or, so you're sitting, you know, I'm sitting there saying to myself, you know, how much should I drop in that bucket? Well, I got a 20, I got a 10, I got a 5, I've got a 1. Let's see. Got to put gas in the car this afternoon. So that's 20 at least. We're going to Taco Bell. That's a dollar. And so I need, I need to save that. So maybe I'll drop the five spot in there. That feels pretty generous. Five spot of all the bills I got. That's one-fourth of all the bills that I have. A five-dollar bill. And I feel pretty good about myself. And I stick my wallet in and I won't worry about it until next time I show up. I'm telling you, that's not biblical stewardship. It's absolutely not biblical stewardship. That is last-minute guesswork as to how much you got. It's sort of like going to Costco and you don't have a shopping list. And you walk out with muffins and, and cookies that you hadn't really planned, but you're kind of hungry. You know, if you go in there without a plan, you're likely to spend a whole lot more than you thought you were going to spend. And almost, you can't hardly help yourself but spend more than you thought you were going to spend when you see the bill. You don't go to church and worship and give based upon impulsive last-minute giving. You pre-arrange the amount. Joy and I, what we do, every year we know how much we're going to give. And we dispense it throughout the course of the year. We don't wait till the year end and sort of have the big gift then. We try to do all year long. We try to be faithful and regular, putting aside and saving. And it's a committed amount. It's, it's sort of like, but not really, like paying Edison and PG&E. Well, I love Edison. I love PG&E because they give me something. But more than that, I have like clockwork. This is what we give each week. This is the amount. It's prearranged. And why is that important? Because we want to avoid what Paul says here, not affected by covetousness. Because when I wait to the last minute, sort of last minute giving, there's a covetousness. I don't want you to be affected by covetousness. I don't want to show up and sort of guilt you into it. And covetousness, the word covetousness means two words, play on and echo. It means more, to have more. Covetousness, I want to have more, so I hold on. I don't want to give it up. It's hard for me. And then he also says, well, let me show you. In fact, it's interesting to me. There, there are various ways that we can look at this. But here's a video that's intriguing as to what it sort of draws out in some people who maybe have a struggle in the area of being covetous. Let's take a look at this. This money? It doesn't look like you need this. I don't need it, but it's free. I wouldn't take it. Oh, okay. You have a Louis Vuitton bag. You really need this? Yeah, I have a nail appointment tomorrow. Two. 
Oh, that's uh, okay. And then there you go. Is that is that all you need? Yeah, that's it. I just need to. I'm just trying to get some food and just give whatever you gotta give to other people. You don't want to take any food, any for more for tomorrow or anything or the next no, day? No, I'll be good, dude. Just give it to other people. Okay, I appreciate that. Thank you very much. Man. I appreciate that. That's a, you're an amazing guy. I wanna I wanna make sure that you eat. No. Um, I want no. I'm not. I'm not gonna let you not eat tomorrow or the next day. That's an amazing thing that what you just did. I just want to give you. Here's like sixty dollars or whatever. And you should be able to get food for your dog and for whoever you need during the whole week. See you later. I appreciate it. Take care, guys. Thank you so much. That video is intriguing to me for a couple of reasons. Number one, the Louis Vuitton bag. How, how many knows how much one of those things costs? I think it's, I think it's a loss. I know I spent about a thousand, I think, for mine. So I don't know what you spent on yours. And uh, at least uh, when I was overseas, they said it was Louis Vuitton. I, don't, I didn't really. Anyway, I don't have one. Uh, but you know th that covetousness. I don't need it, but I want it. I got a nail appointment tomorrow. This is. This is covetousness, wanting to have more. And the second thing that strikes me about that video is this. Is that good? You know, he, he's just making a point. I get this. But if that was your regular practice of giving, that's random. It's guesswork. It's not intentional. It's not organized. It's not prearranged. We don't want that kind of randomness to our giving because, you know, who ends up with whatever? We want it to go to an intentional place where God's people and God's work are being blessed and provided for and his work advances the cause. And we don't want to wait and just walk around with dollar bills and covetous people, oh, ooh, free, 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 and this craziness that sometimes we get into. And the second thing, that uh, why we have healthy habits to avoid that. So I regularly give healthy habit ways so I don't wait to the last minute for this. Each one must do just as he's purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion. We don't want people to give grudgingly. That word grudgingly, it's the same word that's used when you grieve over the death of a loved one. If your mother, your spouse, your child dies, you grieve terribly. Paul used that word. And we don't want someone to give to the offering and it's like a death sentence to them. We don't want people grieving over the loss of that money that I had to put in the bucket. We don't want that kind of pain. And so if you give today or any day, and it's a painful, grudging, compulsed gift, I want to give you freedom. Keep your money. Because I believe we, on, we honor a great and mighty God that gives beyond beyond bad attitudes. And then we invite you, we invite you into a change of view of a healthy, habitual giving that is prearranged to say good things about God. It's a beautiful place to live. Let me show you. He says, I want you to give as you have purposed in your heart. And so it's private. I don't know who gives what in Calvary Church. I never see any of that information. So I speak out of just complete ignorance, which is not the first time I've ever said that. But we have this sense that I don't have any knowledge about where it goes, but it's private, it's purpose. I want to show you something. I used to live in Lodi. Did you know that I used to live in Lodi? Have I ever? I know, I've said all too much. But it was called First Baptist Church. It used to be called German Baptist Church. Lodi is loaded with Russian Germans. And uh, um, 
They love the Lord, they just never sh- always showed it on their face. But uh, the German Baptist Church, way back in 1939, Pastor Felberg was the pastor back then. And this is their directory, the directory they had of the membership of that church. I want to show you what that membership directory included. Here's page out of it, just a random page. Here are the names, here are the addresses, and they would list how much they gave in general fund and how much they gave in this missions fund. And so next Sunday, we are instituting a new policy here at Calvary Church. (laughs) On the wall as you exit, you will see your name and how much... No, we're not going to do that because he says you purposed in your heart. There's a privacy we respect. So it gives me freedom to speak to anyone about any of this because we don't know. We don't know who's doing it. I know many people are doing faithful things. I want to show you one just to honor the pastor. Pastor Felberg was the pastor back then. He's living at 19 South Central. That was the address of the church when I was there. So I don't know if he lived like in the basement or whatever. I don't know why that has his address. But that's the church address, and here is how much he gave. And that amount of $120 and $60, $120 to general, $60 to missions, that was 10% of his income. And so Pastor Felberg was a bright and shining example of stewardship that is generous. Now, again, Pastor Felberg knew how much he was going to give was going to be listed in a directory, and I'd be talking about it like 80, 70 years later. (laughs) I'd want it to look good too. But nevertheless, he was a generous and godly man. We honor people who have this mindset of faithfulness to model it. Joy and I, candidly, try to model the same pattern of giving as well. And then finally, not only do we prearrange what we're going to give by having spiritually healthy habits of giving, not out of covetousness, grudgingly, or compulsion, but we give because there's a joy in the faithful stewardship. There's a joy that comes our way. Notice again in verse 6, now I say this, he who sows sparingly will reap also sparingly, but he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. There is a certain joy and an excitement of saying good things, of celebrating God, of bountifulness, of many good words, of celebrating the goodness of a God, a eulogy to our God that comes. And the more that I am sowing, the more that I am reaping. There is a a great return on our investment. Not that it fills my bank account, but that it fills my heart of a goodness of God and to see the fulfillment of that. There's something that happens even in the brain when we give. And there was a study that was done that uh, I found this last week that says good deeds correlated with good health. Stephen Post, who's a professor of bioethics, at Case Western Reserve University School of Medicine, which is way too long of a name. But they did a study for 30 years on people who would volunteer and give faithfully to others. And this is what they discovered. This is extremely important. This is the care and connection part of the brain. They started to see how the brain changed by giving. It is a very different part of the brain than as active with romantic love. These brain studies show this profound state of joy and delight that comes from giving to others. It doesn't come from any dry action where the act is out of duty, 
like just writing a check for a good cause. It comes from working to cultivate a generous quality, from interacting with people. There, there is the smile, the tone of the voice, the touch of the shoulder. We're talking about altruistic love. And so science has finally said that what Paul is talking about is there's a joyfulness that the more that I voluntarily give as a bountiful gift, the greater the return of the bountiful gift back to me. There's a greater joy. My brain actually changes changes into a joyfulness, not out of duty, not out of compulsion, not out of grudgingly, not out of some sort of a grief like somebody died that I have to give. But when I give out of this spirit, it actually changes my mind, and there's a new joy of bountifulness. And the more I do it, the more bountiful it becomes my mind. Secondly, the joy of abundant grace and sufficiency that God will provide it for every good work. As verse 8, Paul says, And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that always having all sufficiency. Last week we talked about sufficiency and we called it contentment. This is the same word. God wants us to be contented. So there is all contentment in everything. You may have an abundance for every good deed. God wants us to provide everything so we always have an abundance. Notice how many words all everyone, every good deed, everything. He says there is just no wiggle room for God. He has to do that. He wants to do that. He loves to do that. Kind of an example of that. I was reading this last week. Chip Ingram, who is a uh, pastor, author now, speaks, and uh, used to be connected, I think, to the Santa Cruz Bible Church where Ladones used to be. And he has this ongoing ministry, but he wrote a book on generosity. And he tells about his very first church. He had a very first church. He had 35 people in his church. It was in Texas. And uh, there was a man in his church who was about 70. Chip in that day was like late 20s. So there's a big age difference and kind of a cultural difference and kind of a generational change. So the man invited Chip to go to dinner to a very highfalutin, fancy restaurant. So they met at the restaurant. He felt kind of, Chip felt kind of awkward. It's kind of not his domain, kind of not his, his area and the age. And this guy is kind of quirky anyways. And so he sat down and so they shared. And a man said, Chip, I've got a, I've got a plan for you. I'm going to set up account of the pastor's fund. There's something named like that, pastor's fund. And I'm going to write you a check for $5,000. I'm going to put it in that pastor's fund checking account. And that's your money. So he did. He wrote that check. And he says, because, Chip, I know there are many people who are needy. I love people who are needy. You know people who are needy. And I want you to help them with this fund. So all that money is not for you, but to give to those you know who are in need. So he entrusts that $5,000 to Chip, and as Chip got in his car, he says it's 95 degrees at Dallas, Texas, and it's a miserable 95 degrees in the summer there. And he drives the no air conditioning home. He's kind of sweating, thinking, my goodness, Lord, what have you done? So he began to think, I've got this money as a trust from John. His name is John Saville. From John that I've got to use in a wise way. And Chip said certain things began to happen as a result of that. He says, I began to think a lot more about John. I never thought about John before, but I began thinking about John all the time. Because John has now given to me this sum of money. And I began to think about, God, I've got this money, and I've got to use it for your glory. I've got to use it in meaningful ways. I've got to plan. I've got to prepare. I've got to figure it out. And then God, he said, thirdly, I've learned to love John in ways I never learned to love John before. 
because he was always on my mind and I realized what he was entrusting to me to give to those in need. And after that 5,000 were used up for the people in need, they had lunch again. And John wrote him another check for $5,000. He says, praise God, keep it up. Keep it up, Chip. It's great. And he just kept on refilling the fund as Chip used it wisely for God's glory. That is an image that I want to have in my heart. But every paycheck, every gift, every sum of money that comes to the Mitchell family, to the David J. Mitchell Living Trust family, <laughs> that's who we are, we have a living trust, that has been entrusted to me. And just as Chip began to have a love for John, my love for God goes way up when I realize that what he has given to me has been a trust to use for God's glory to others. And my mind begins to change in my view to God, my view of the church, my view of needy people, because all that I have is given by God to me in a special fund called my checking account so that I could use it like Chip did for God's glory. I need to have that mindset. And that's what he means. God is able to make all grace abound to us. He gives us to that so that we can be that cheerful giver. The word cheerful is the Greek word halos. We get the English word hilarious. And so when we give, it should be a time of hilarity. There should be a time where we come up to the buckets that are on the various tables over here, and as you're walking up there and you've already pre-prepared what you're going to give, what I'm going to give, what we're going to give, I've already prearranged that. It's been already established. It's not a last minute because I like the song, I want to give more. It's all prearranged, not emotionally driven. And I come up to that bucket, and as I get closer to the bucket, I get closer to that moment of hilarity, and as I get ready to drop what I have or I begin to do it online, whatever the way may be for you, as I do that and I drop it in here, in this case, in this day, I drop it in that bucket and I should go, Yahoo! I just woke some people up. <laughs> What's he talking about? As I drop that in that bucket, that should be the... It should be like when I walk over that bucket and I drop it in there, it's sort of like Mike Trout hitting a grand slam in the... World Series. What do we do when Mike Trout hits a grand slam? We stand up! We're excited! It's much more important than Mike Trout hitting a home run when we with cheerfulness and hilarity give to God. I don't want our giving to be, uh, it's like a funeral. Uh, I guess i got to drop it in there. Keep it. Keep it. Until God prepares the heart, prepares the soil of the heart, so we can give thanks to God for all that he has for us. I want to show you a video that we want to give thanks to God for all that he's done through many of us. Even as I say these things, I know that there are so many of you who already get this. You're doing it. And I say praise God for you. So I don't want to presume that we're not doing this. So many are doing that. And I know that because of this video that will show you of God's work here at Calvary Church. Every number in this year at Calvary is an opportunity to celebrate how God is moving as we do life together. The blessings that flow from the people of Calvary are like threads of generosity that stretch out to impact others here at Calvary, out in our community, and around the world. 
Last year, just over 4.3 million came into Calvary's general fund for church ministry and 1.3 million for our REACH fund, supporting local and global missions work. Let's take a look at how your generous giving adds up to be used in amazing ways for ministry purposes. Children and students are a big priority for us as a church family, with 21% going toward helping the next generation develop a vibrant life in Jesus. A real highlight is our annual VBS, which we are able to provide for free. This year, more than 1,000 kids and 500 courageous volunteers went on an epic week-long adventure together where 142 kids recommitted their life to Christ and 154 made first-time decisions for Jesus. In Calvary Town, we have over 500 kids each week, served by 150-plus volunteers. We have especially seen our ministry to families who have kids with special needs grow recently. And in student ministries, there are countless stories of hundreds of young people learning from awesome leaders to live out their faith, making a difference for God's kingdom. Moving up through the generations, ministry for worship and adults accounted for 29% of our budget. An average of 1,600 adults gather to worship each Sunday morning across three different services. More than 2,000 people came to remember Jesus' birth on Christmas Eve, and nearly 4,000 came to celebrate Easter at Calvary. But more than just attendance, lives are being changed. In 2015, 118 proclaimed their faith through baptism, and 88 new members are engaging in the life of Calvary. In discipleship, we now have 103 people trained and available to meet one-on-one -on -one to help others grow in their faith. There are 75 life groups for adults, meeting on campus and in neighborhoods throughout Orange County. And last fall, we had our first ever Calvary Goes to Dinner with 23 homes open to build connections as we grew through our Better Together series in Ephesians. Calvary Care Ministries helped people find hope, healing, truth, and grace through areas including counseling, recovery, and support groups. Through our Emergency Needs Fund, 206 requests came in and over $150,000 was given in financial assistance to bring people through challenging seasons of life. And our REACH Ministries represent the final 29% which went out to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. This helped support 88 missionary families serving in 36 countries and 211 people from Calvary served on global mission trips in 2015. The life-giving message of Jesus was also shared in many ways here in Orange County. A highlight was the Love Santa Ana initiative serving two at-risk neighborhoods together with nine Santa Ana churches and 700 plus volunteers. The numbers of lives changed continue to add up for ministries like the Alpha Course, Fill the Bus, Job Fair, Thanksgiving Outreach, Angel Tree, and many more. And finally, 2015 was a big year for our church plant partnerships. Prodigal Church launched in Irvine, Iglesia La Puerta began holding services in Santa Ana, and our global partnership with Way of Peace is bringing about a church planting movement in Albania. We have been saved by a generous God to be a generous people, and we look forward to all that God will continue to do through Calvary Church as we serve Him together. All right. Thank you. Thank you for your gifts. That tells me that maybe, maybe we didn't need what we just went through, but maybe there are some that could be challenged to join the rest of us. And so thank you for those who have been so faithful, and we invite everyone else to be partners together because we are better together as we give. And as we worship now, 
we have these questions that I've put on the outline. I encourage you to reflect, God, how am I doing this? Where am I doing that? These questions come right from the text of 9 through 15. And so I encourage you to use that as a place where we worship through song, but also through the word together. We have the tables, the communion, the bread, the cup. It symbolizes the body of Jesus. We encourage you to come and participate and give thanks to God for the gift of sacrifice of the Son, Jesus. The buckets are there for our giving as well. Let me pray for us as we worship him. Father, help us now as we come before you and give thanks to all that you have done for us. Lord, you're a great and mighty God, a generous God to each of us in giving of your Son, Jesus, that we could know you through him. And, Father, into into a relationship where the Lordship of Jesus Christ can guide us, motivate us, and inspire us to be generous back to you. Thank you, Father, as we worship you now in Jesus' name. Amen.